the couple sat at their kitchen table and they and they stared at a check for $15,000. They had been sparring back and forth, arguing, but right now the silence was deafening. She snapped at him. You just had to promise that we're going to give all the money away. He snapped back. Well, I didn't see you complaining when everybody at church was clapping for you. $15,000. I mean, he thought at best maybe ten, but really more likely 8000 But $15,000? For a, an undeveloped piece of property on a one-lane road south of Jerusalem? See, his, his uncle had given him the property, and, and honestly, he hadn't thought much about it until his wife came to him and said, Hey, did you hear about what Barnabas did? He, he, he sold his lakefront property, and he gave all the money to the church. Now, Ananias knew Barnabas, and, and he couldn't help but notice the tone that, that people used when they started talking about Barnabas' generous gift. There was respect and, and admiration. And he thought to himself, wow, it'd be great to be thought of like that. And so he mentioned to his wife, Sapphira, he said, you know, we're never going to build on that property. Why, why don't we sell it and, and give the money to the church? Like, like all of it? Like, well, why not? They would have been better off just doing it, just keeping their mouths shut and just giving the money. But they couldn't help themselves. They, they just couldn't keep their mouth shut. I mean, he mentioned it to his golfing buddy. She, she talked about it over lunch with some friends. And next thing you knew, the, the church was a buzz. They're going to sell their property and give all the money to the church. Well, Jerusalem was expanding, and next thing you know, three developers wanted this piece of undeveloped property, and, and a bidding war started, and next thing you know, they're standing there with a check for $15,000. And so they sat at their kitchen table in silence. She's stirring her coffee. He's staring at a check. You know, it was Sapphira who first floated the idea. What if we just tell people that we sold it for $10,000. He thought for a second. Yeah. I mean, we could just tell people that we, that we closed it $10,000. And then we would get the credit for the gift and, and a little cash for something else. No harm in that. If you fast forward the story to the, to the following Sunday, the apostles called Ananias into a meeting. And according to the account by Dr. Luke, uh, written in Acts chapter 5, the meeting lasted only long enough for Peter to ask Ananias four questions. Here's the questions. Number one, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and then kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Question two, I mean, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? I mean, no one forced you to sell the property. I mean, you did this on your own. You did this on your own accord. You had free will. Question three. I mean, after it was sold, was it not in your own control? I mean, it, at any point, you, you could have changed your mind. It, you didn't have to, 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 
give. You didn't have to contribute the money. See, see, the wrong here is not in keeping a portion of the proceeds. The, the wrong is pretending that you gave it all. <laughs> and then the fourth question. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Uh, that's the key word in it. Heart. See, as Luke tells this story, the, the focus of the story, the main point of the story is heart. The heart. It's not about money. It's not about property. It's not about possessions. It's about heart. And you know this. There's a link. There's a, there's a distinct link between your heart, your core, your, like who you are, and your stuff, your finances, and your money. Now, let's pause right here at the beginning and just, and just own this, that, that any time we start talking about money or finances or stuff, it gets awkward and especially gets awkward in the church, right? Because there are some people and there's some leaders and there's some churches who have and who do abuse this and they use their platform for their own benefit. And it's unfortunate, but let's own it. It's real and it happens right here in Miami. And so when we start talking about this, your defenses go up, your guard goes up, but here's my challenge. If you're a skeptic, if you're just not sure, that's good, I get it. If you don't know me, if you don't know Miami Church, I get it. There are people, there are churches who abuse their platform, but don't let them rob you of the joy of living a generous life. Don't let them rob you of an opportunity to be part of something bigger. So this story in Acts chapter 5, it, it's important. In fact, it's so important, it echoes the teachings of Jesus. And if you study the, the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, you know that Jesus has a lot to say about, about money. Jesus has a lot to say about money and possessions. In fact, money is such an important topic to Jesus that, that the, it's really the main subject of almost half of his parables, half of his stories. In fact, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with the topic of money and possessions. There's a little over 500 verses that talk about prayer. There's a little less than 500 that talk about faith, but there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money and possessions. Like, why? Like, why is this such an important topic? Why, why is this such an important topic to the writers of the New Testament? Why is this such an important topic to Jesus? See, Jesus knew. See, Jesus knew that money and stuff and, and the, the desire for more, he knew that it was going to cause so much stress and so much strain. See, he knew that, that money and stuff would destroy relationships. He knew that it was going to be the, one of the top causes for divorce. He knew it was going to be the, one of the top causes for, for breaking of relationships, for, for business relationships. He knew that there was going to be so much falling out over money. He also knew that, that money and stuff can get its claws into you like nothing else. That money can get a hold of you, a grip on you, and that you can easily lose control. But see, ultimately... Jesus knew. He knew that money is the most likely thing to compete for you, for your heart. 
He knew that money was the most likely thing to, to get in the way of a love affair that he wants to have with you. And so Jesus says, money, it's the chief competitor for you. It's the chief competitor for your heart. It's the chief competitor for your devotion. And so Jesus, this is why he talked about it so much, he knew that money, the quest for more, would be the chief competitor for your heart and for your devotion. And so that's why we find this story here in Acts chapter 5. Now we're in this message here, we're calling find and follow, and we're simply walking chapter by chapter through the story of the first church found in Acts. And this is Acts 5, week 5, part 5, and we're walking through this. And this topic that this brings up with this story in Acts 5 is so important. And what I want to do now is I want to pivot to the Gospels, and I want to look at an encounter Jesus had in Mark chapter 10, because I believe it gets to the heart, it illustrates the story that we see here in Acts chapter 5. So if you have your device, a phone, if you have a Bible, I want you to, I want you to open it right now to, to Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, it's the second book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark chapter 10. And Mark has an eyewitness account, many say it's Peter's eyewitness account, of this conversation that Jesus has. Mark chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Good teacher, he said, what must I do to receive eternal life? So he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. It's a sign of, of respect. And he says, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Now look how Jesus responds. Verse 18. He says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God. You know what the commandments say. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, do not be a false witness, do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus basically gives him the commandments. Most of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. And, he, and he's giving him the rules. But Jesus is what he's really doing. He's setting him up for something deeper. He's really trying to get to the core. Look how he responds, verse 20. Teacher, he said, I've obeyed all those commandments since I was a boy. Now watch this. This is genius. This is, this is the genius of, of Jesus. Because so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to pivot, right? And he's going he's to go straight to the core. He's going to go straight to the heart. Because here's what Jesus knows. And I hope this bothers you because it bothers me. If you want to follow Jesus, or if you are a follower of Jesus, it's much easier to trust Jesus with sin or with grief or with eternity than it is to trust him with money. And this is why Jesus is so smart. Because he knows that. And he's clear. And you can see it right here in the story. He's like, hey, if you haven't surrendered what you have, you really haven't surrendered. If you haven't given me access to what you have, I don't really have access to you. So you've opted for a lesser version. And this is where he's going. And look how Mark describes this in verse 21. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He looked him hard in the eye, I mean eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball. And Jesus looked at him with love and with compassion. See, it, it, this reveals the motivation. 
See, Jesus' motivation was not guilt or shame. Jesus' motivation was the heart. He, he wanted this guy's heart. He wanted this guy's devotion, not his money. And Jesus sees this guy, and he says, Man, the, your stuff, your, your possessions, your, your money, it has its claws into you. It has a hold on you, and you are not in control. Your money is in control, and it's, it's so deep in you. And he's not condemning him. He's trying to actually help him. He's actually trying to give him freedom for, from, from the grip, from the claws of his stuff. And look what Jesus says. He looks at this guy. He looks at him through eyes of love and compassion. He says, you're missing one thing. Go and sell everything you have. Give the money to those who are poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He says, genius. You see this? He says, your your stuff, your, your money, the accumulation of stuff, it has a grip on you. It has its claws into you. And you gotta let it go. It's controlling you. It's, it's in charge, and I want you to be free. I want you to live an outbound, generous life. And he's not condemning the guy. He's not condemning money. He's just saying, hey, your priorities, your purpose, your meaning is all wrapped up in your stuff. And it's going to lead you to pain, and it's going to lead you to misery, and I'm trying to set you free. Look how Mark tells the story, verse 22. He says, the man's face fell. And he went away. The imagery of him walking away. He went away sad because he was very rich. His face fell. And he walked off with a heavy heart. And he was holding tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Many have described verse 22 as the the saddest verse in all the Bible. Because this man, this young man, he missed his opportunity. Jesus was inviting him to be part of something bigger. Jesus was, was wanting to call him into something grander. Jesus was calling him into purpose and meaning and freedom. But he walked away. So I think the same thing's true of you and the same thing's true of me. But Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, hey, don't, don't. Don't miss this. Don't walk away. I have something for you. I've got purpose. And I've got meaning. And I've got a plan. And I've got, uh, I want you to be part of something so much bigger and so much grander. Don't miss this. The guy walks away. And then Jesus turns and, and, and his, his disciples are there. And he turns it into a teaching moment. And, and look how Mark describes this in verse 23. It says that Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for rich people to enter God's kingdom? Verse 24, it says the disciples were amazed at his words. And he's going to repeat himself. Says, Jesus said it again. Children, how hard is it to enter God's kingdom? It is hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. 
It is even harder for someone who is rich to enter God's kingdom. It gives them imagery that they totally understood because they knew like a needle and they understood camels. It's like impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus is saying, guys, listen, I'm calling you to something bigger. I'm calling you to an an outward bound generous life. And, And money, money is a means, but it's not the meaning. And money gives you opportunity and and stuff and possessions. It's okay. They're not bad. I'm not condemning money and possessions. But but money, money just gives you opportunity. Money gives you an opportunity to be a blessing. And Jesus knows that something happens when you start to make money and stuff more. And that when you uh, uh, start to accumulate more, when you start to get more stuff, that it's kind of our default. It's easy and natural to make money, to make stuff the priority. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm calling you to something else. And I'm calling you to live an outbound, generous life. And, you know, years ago, I, I lived in Chicago. And um, in the particular part of Chicago where I live, there some of the, the, the smartest sharpest, most successful women and men I'd ever been around. And, and there was actually this group of business women and businessmen. I mean, we're talking brilliant, smart, multimillionaires, people that were running corporations and, and businesses that had thousands and thousands of employees. And, and there was this group of them, and they would meet together weekly. And, and you know what they called themselves? They called themselves the bruised camels. Get that bruised camel through the eye of a needle? They called themselves the bruised camels. And here's the genius of what they were. Again, these were highly successful women, highly successful men, very rich, made a lot of money, really good at what they do, right? But they had a humility. And they would meet together with like-minded men and women. And they would say, you know what? I don't want these claws, I don't want the claws of stuff and of money to sink into me. I I don't want to lose control. I want to to be generous. I want to live an outbound generous life. And they would meet together and they would study God's word together and they would challenge each other and they would hold each other accountable so they didn't lose track, so they didn't get off. Bruised camels. Many of you, if you've been around church at all, you, you know there's a historical Christian teaching called the tithe. You've heard this? The tithe. Now, the the idea of the tithe is that you take 10% off the top of everything that you receive, everything that you get, anything that you earn, any paycheck you receive, you take 10% off the top and you give that to the church. Now, here at Miami Church, if you've been around for any time, you know that, that I don't teach too often on the idea of the time, of the tithe. I don't focus on it because I think it can give a false impression that 100% of it is yours, and, and then you can kind of do whatever you want with the 100%, but if you're a good Jesus follower or if you're a good Christian, then you just give 10% to God, and that's the tithe. And then God's happy with you, and he's like, oh, thank you so much, Greg, you are so nice. And, and this idea gives you the re- uh, impression that it's ours, and we just give a percentage to God. But if you really study the teaching of Jesus, Jesus doesn't teach that. He teaches like, no, 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 everything is God's. 100% of it is God's, and you're just a manager. 
You are a temporary holder. You are given an opportunity. Now, I think the, the tithe is a, is a great idea. In fact, I think you should tithe. But, but the why behind the tithe is, is that God is, is really trying to, to, to see your heart. He's trying to see your heart. He's like, and I mean, if you're like, like this whole thing, like, whoa, hold up, big man. Like 10%, I only live off, there's no way, I can't pay the bills, it doesn't make sense. See, see the, the, the importance of this teaching is, it's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's not about the 10%. It, it's about your heart. Does, does, does your stuff, does your money, does, your, does it have its claws into you? Who's in control? Are you in control or is your stuff in control? You know, what you do with your money, what you do with your stuff speaks volumes about who you are. What you do with your money, what you do with your stuff speaks volumes about whose you are. And Jesus makes it clear. He's like, I want you. I want you. I want your heart. I want your devotion. And I know the chief competitor for you and for your heart is your stuff. It's your money. And that's why Peter looked at Hananias and he said, like, why did you conspire this? What did you come up with this in your heart? Jesus wants your heart. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And, and, and money, it, 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 it can add meaning to your life, but it, it, it is not the meaning of life. I mean, money can add meaning to your life. It can give you opportunities. It can give you the ability to bless others. But, but money is not the meaning of life. So how do you know? I mean, how do you know? I mean, if you look in the mirror and take an honest look, like, how do you know if it's got its claws into you? Like, like how do you know if, if you've lost control? Like, how do you know? It's really kind of simple. How generous are you? Kind of in black and white. You can look at a bank statement. How generous are you? What percentage of your income do you give away? Put a number to it. I challenge you today, this week, put a number to it. This could be painful. <laughs> it may not be a fun exercise, but do you really want to know? Do you really want to know like, like what's going on in your heart? Jesus wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to be free. He wants to help you. He doesn't want you to be controlled by money and stuff. He doesn't want his claws to be in you. He's a, his ultimate goal is for you and your heart. Do you want to know? What percentage of your income do you give away? Put a number down. Because what you do with your money, what you do with your stuff, it speaks volumes about who you are. What you do with your money, what you do with your stuff, speaks volumes about whose you are. And Jesus looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, I want, I, I want you. I want your heart. I want your devotion. I want you to be part of something bigger. I want you to, to, to live an outward bound generous life. I want your life to be about purpose and meaning. I want you to, to, to use the stuff that you have to be a blessing. I want you to see the opportunities I have for you to be part of something so much grander, so much bigger. How generous are you? What's going on in your heart?